Hello, everyone. Welcome to Trust Don't Verify, the show where two of us are telling a story, but only one of us is telling the truth, and it's up to the decider to determine who that is. My name is Carter, alongside the co-hosts today, Brett and Aaron. Hello. What up? All right. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. Aaron and I will be telling the stories today, I'm pretty sure. And as far as who's going first, we typically flip a coin, unless Aaron has a preference. I don't have a preference, but since this episode's truth criteria is a little bit different, perhaps you want to touch on that. Ah, yes. Okay. So the truth in this one will be that one of these has been discussed or what would you say, cataloged in the popular mind. It does exist insofar as it has been talked about and people are aware of it, but it cannot be verified as real. Does yeah. that make sense? Please so, go ahead. So, so I was just going to say like a good example of this would be, it's sort of like folk legends and things like that. A good example of what would be a quote unquote true story in this instance would be, for example, the Loch Ness Monster. Or Bigfoot. Or Bigfoot, right. Not something that, you know, isn't necessarily real or provable on its own, but that is a true, that is truly an urban legend, so to speak. So what we're doing today, to put it in plain English, is cryptids. But only one of the cryptids has ever actually walked through anyone's mind. One is completely made up in either Aaron or my head, and the other is out there. You can look it up. You can have people tell you, oh, I believe in that. And then after this episode, you can have that about both because people will start to believe it. They'll say, no, mm. that exists. Mm, that sounds real to me. What do you think, Brett? I'm in. You're in. You don't have an option. All right. So let's go <laughs> I ahead. I will participate in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank God. I was withholding that decision until right now. Yeah. I wish you could back out. Be like, actually, mm, pass. Aaron, first or coin? Um, we can flip a coin. That's fine. I've got a peck of gum here. Uh, I can flip this if you want. Do you want? Uh, do you want extra? Logo? Would be heads, and that would be tails. Carter, you call flap, it. Flap, flap, flap. I want the flap. flap. Okay, I'm going to catch and flip. It's flap. I landed flap. I'll go first. All right. we, didn't, we didn't say which was which. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I said extra was heads, and the flap was tails. Yeah, I know I won, but I just didn't know which one was going to go first. Oh, so I winning, guess I just a turn. Yeah, winning. Winning means you get to pick. Okay, yeah, I'll go ahead and go first. My story is terrible, but here we go. Also, I'm trying something new, just so you know. So it might be actually bad. It's going to be sexy. Oh, no. The air is hot and still as you lie in bed. The rest of your family is asleep, but you are wide awake, watching the shadows dance and flicker off the cabin walls in the faint candlelight. You think about the conversation you had earlier that week with your friends outside of the general store. Andrew Jackson just won the election. Wow. You wonder what that means for the country. Nothing good. <laughs> Suddenly, you hear a commotion outside. The farm animals in your enclosure are in a frenzy now. You can tell they are terrified of something. This is exactly what you have been waiting for. You bolt out of bed so quickly it awakens your wife. She sits up drearily as you grab your musket and start towards the door. She begins to say your name. but Before she can get the entire word out, she's cut short by a terrifying scream from outside. A throaty shriek that cuts through the still air like a jagged dagger. You feel your heart seize up in an instant. Your forehead begins to tickle with anxiety as adrenaline begins pumping through your body. You run out the door and head towards the animal enclosure. Save the noise of chickens, goats, and your horse and donkey all in a huff. The night is calm and pleasant. The moon illuminates the yard and tree line with a bluish hue, while a faint summer breeze 
wafts the smell of the trees and nearby rivers into your nostrils. You take a deep breath of the mountain air as you raise your gun and begin walking warily towards the animal pen. By recently elected President Andrew Jackson, you're scared. It is 1828. (laughs) (laughs) Then you see something up ahead. An unsettling animal with piercing eyes reflecting in the moonlight turns to stare at you with one of your now-dead juvenile goats in its jaws. The neck of the ill-fated kid looks broken and horrible as its lifeless body stares at the sky, mouth agape, blood staining, its white fur all over. Its killer is looking straight at you, hunched over with an extreme lurch, paws dug into the dirt and rock with talons exposed, a gnash of snarling teeth twisted into a ferocious grimace as it holds the goat in its mouth. It growls and screams at you again, this time more muffled by the bloody mass in its jaws. You feel your heart stop. This is the beast that has been killing your livestock. It's terrible. What could it be? It's about the size of a coyote, but it looks more feline in nature. And perhaps, most peculiarly of all, the hair is standing straight up on its back in jagged tufts. Not entirely unlike a cat that has been startled, but also more dramatic and sinister. There is more than just a line of fur accentuated across its spine like most felines. This animal's entire back is bristled and twisted upwards, almost like it's wearing a mat of briars. It all terminates at an odd lock of hair on the creature's head that bushes out wildly and drapes down the front of the skull in a wavy tuft. You note the dense fur of amber and gray and black, but you can still not place the animal in your mind. It can't be a dog nor a cougar, and it is much bigger than a bobcat. You start to shake and quickly look down at your fumbling hands to go full cock on your musket. Your heart is screaming. <laughs> Sorry. Your heart is screaming and pounding in your chest as you nervously pull back on the metal cock. <laughs> Why do you keep saying cock? It's not a hammer on a musket. It's called a cock. <laughs> you look up, ready to defend yourself as best you can from the ferocious foe standing in your way. It's gone. The yard is clear. You look anxiously around you. Where did it go? What the hell was that? My friend, you just survived an encounter with the Great Smoky Mountains Prickly Cat. Feel free to buy yourself a t-shirt that says as much at many locations throughout the greater Gatlinburg, Bryson City, and Nantahala area. The Prickly Cat is a ferocious feline entity with its roots possibly dating back thousands of years. As the European settlers of the area claimed the Cherokee Native Americans spoke in warnings of the same beast stalking their trails and woodlands. Characterized by its bloodshot eyes, demonic caterwaul, and of course, bizarre tufts of hair. Any questions? Anything? I just don't know why the original encounter with the prickly cat was set in the 1800s. <laughs> just so you could just so you could shoehorn a couple shoehorn in a couple of old hickory references, presumably. All will be forthcoming, Brett. So this is the 1800s. Okay. No questions. No further questions. Okay, we got, we're, we're, we're properly framed. This next sentence you'll really like then. The first Eurocentric encounter was reportedly recorded in 1811, just a few short years after those of European descent began inhabiting the area. James Butler, a former soldier of the Continental Army, took his family southwest to establish a homestead in the relatively uncharted territory that is now known as Bryson City, North Carolina. It was there Butler claimed to first have encountered the prickly cat after it maimed one of the family's hunting dogs and snatched three chickens in the night over the course of a week. It was not altogether uncommon for domesticated animals to be preyed upon by wildlife, especially in an area of wilderness, so Butler devised a plan to do what generations of settlers ended up doing, taking out and finding a way to kill the intruder to protect his livestock. Butler wrote of the encounter that some wild animal had been terrorizing his livestock and even killed his dog, Betsy. 
The next time the intruder came to snatch a chicken, he would come face to face with the prickly cat as he waited for it to come back for another easy meal. He would go on to describe it as, quote, a foul wildcat, a sight larger than any vermin with mangy fur and too much salt, and also the, quote, most chuffy and aggressive wild animal he ever saw. Butler was unable to wound or kill the prickly cat, but there are no further details of him encountering it again, so it would seem his bid to at least scare it off worked. Over the years to follow, as the area started to become more populous, the sightings and legends grew. There are some claims the legend, as I'd mentioned before, dates as far back as to being in the lore of the original inhabitants of the area, the Cherokees. I was unable to confirm this from anything more than a Wikipedia mention, but nonetheless, it is alleged the origin story of their part in the lore was that the prickly cat, or as they called it, the Wasa Asinna, was actually a witch of sorts, transformed from human form into a bloodthirsty wild beast, seeking human and animal flesh alike, with a particular interest in devouring children who strayed too far from their families and into the sprawling forest surrounding the Smoky Mountains. Anything? Any questions? Brett keeps edging the mic like he gets closely. <laughs> Great commentary, Brett. If you, were, if you weren't on mute, we would have been able to tell what you said. Well, I wouldn't want to fucking... Interrupt the fucking psychopath. <laughs> Garbage fucking takes. <laughs> fucking psychopath. Prickly cat sounds like a great name. Like the Gatlinburg prickly cat sounds like a great like double A baseball team name. I don't think enough people. Well, maybe double A. Yeah. 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 Okay. Or like yeah. a roller coaster in Dollywood, the prickly cat. Ooh, that's fun. So yeah. I think I think you guys will like some of the, where this ends up. We're 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 in the home stretch here at Dollywood. Right. We're going to Dollywood now. Yes, <laughs> we're in the home stretch here. But uh, yeah, I tend to agree with you all. So sightings of the ferocious feline peaked around the '80s and '90s, with the prickly cat even earning a segment on the cult classic TV show Unsolved Mysteries in 1992. The the recreation that was done for the program showed the most famous encounter of all: a 1977 run-in by a Nantahala resident, Michael Burmander as he drove home in the early morning hours of one May night. Burmander claims that around 1 a.m. on May 27th, he was returning from his girlfriend's house relatively near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. As he listened to music and focused on the road, something dashed in front of his car in a bolt across the headlights. The recreation for Unsolved Mysteries only shows us a quick blur, then a cut to Michael's startled face as he slams on the brakes. There are no other cars nor people around at these early hours. Pulling off to the side of the road, we see Michael grab a flashlight from his glove box and exit the vehicle. In classic, creepy fashion, the night is misty and ominous. In the real recounting of the tale by Michael, there was never mention of fog or mist, but unsolved mystery seemingly clings to the idea that if it is nighttime, it is going to be misty and there is going to be an owl calling from a nearby tree. Michael crossed the street to walk a little ways into the woods, flashlight scanning the scene around him. That's when he claims to have heard a terrible shriek like a woman being stabbed. In the recreation, he quickly turns the light in the direction of the noise. On the TV telling, we only see creepy red eyes glowing in the distance and hear the crackling of leaves and sticks underfoot, accentuated by a growl. Admittedly, this does look pretty scary in the grainy TV footage from a few decades ago. In the actual recounting by Michael, he claims to have walked into the tree lines as portrayed and also hearing the scream as portrayed, but was able to illuminate the creature and get a relatively good look at it in the clear night air. I'm speculating here, but I guess a realistic prickly cat figure or suit was not in the budget for Unsolved Mysteries. So the eyes and some imagination had to do until they could show an artist's rendition slash drawing after the dramatization concluded. The real Michael said that, he, that what he saw was absolutely not a mountain lion nor a wolf or coyote. 
The hair was matted and spiky on the back of it, and there was an excess of hair on the animal's forehead, like poofy and wiry bangs. The eyes were very large and, quote, sinister. Teeth also large and showing as the animal growled disapprovingly and stood its ground in the relative distance. Michael claims to have turned and ran at this point, and also that he could hear the prickly cat pursuing him. But obviously, this might just be a bit to embellish the story. He made it back to his car and sped off, telling the local newspaper, the Smoky Mountain Times, about it the next day. The unresolved mysteries bit ends much the same way with Michael turning and running through the mist as you hear the cryptid pursuing. These days, there don't seem to be as many encounters with the prickly cat, but it is still a tourist attraction and a bit of a mascot for the area. When you duck into any of the numerous gift shops in the surrounding mountain towns, you can find a wide range of prickly cat memorabilia, from t-shirts depicting it as a smiling cartoon cat head and legs on the body of a cartoon cactus, to graphic tees of a more sinister snarling face and body covered in blood, claiming in bold letters, I survived the Great Smoky Mountains prickly cat, and even prickly cat Christmas tree ornaments, you can find a souvenir for pretty much any taste. Whether it is an ancient witch cursed to stalk the lands hundreds or even thousands of years ago as a demonic beast, some species of undiscovered mountain cat that has made its home in the sprawling national forests of the area, or a being of supernatural origin we've yet to comprehend, the Great Smoky Mountains prickly cat is a creepy critter I think we could appreciate more in common cryptid culture. Great alliteration to finish it off. Very strong. It's one of the three tricks we have in this show when writing. Puns. Alliteration. References to Alan Iverson. The crossover. Okay. Any questions there? No. Okay, great. All right. No, just kidding. Brett, you keep edging the mic, so I'm waiting. Listeners, do I have permission to fucking speak now? Okay. I'm mad. I, I am mad. Oh, God. Just, air it God. out. I am I am fucking I am I am actually I am steaming over here. Listen, we're telling jokes with our friends. Look, that was honest feedback, and this is honest feedback, okay? <laughs> We're just trying to laugh. I'm trying to laugh. I'm trying to have a good time. Look, I wanted to make a joke. I wanted to ask you if the guy grabbed a fleshlight, okay? And that is, <laughs> that is funny. Did I say it funny? No, but, you know. Oh. It's gonna, he's going to jack off the cat. Yeah. Even though no. it's a female cat. That would have been funny. Not the cat masturbation, <laughs> the fleshlight joke. I do not support cat masturbation of any kind. <laughs> and, and that's a promise. Okay, that's, you, can, you can put that in my election speech. Really quick, can, we, can I go grab a water? Before, yeah. I, before I tell mine, I'll need to wet my whistle. All right, I'll be back. Okay, so Aaron? Go ahead. Thanks for counting me in there, Carter. I was going to go ahead and start even if you didn't do that, but I appreciate it. You're very helpful, very handsome. Lots of sexual tension between you and the cat. And me and you. Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) There's no tension left. We obliterated it in the woods. All right. It was a bleak and dreary night in June of 1921, like most nights in the rural highlands of Dartmoor, England, which itself was a bleak and dreary place with an ancient history. Like many other similar places, Dartmoor had plenty of history, some real and some imagined. You see, Dartmoor is the subject of many myths and legends. According to sources, it is reputedly inhabited by pixies, a headless horseman, a mysterious pack of ghost hounds, and a supernaturally large black dog, among others. 
that one seeming a little bit less interesting than the others could just be like a big dog, <laughs> perhaps like an Irish wolfhound. Could be any number of things, but it's pretty big is the weird part about it. Another interesting fact is that during the great thunderstorm of 1638, the moorland village of Whittycombe in the Moor was said to have been visited by the devil himself. One of the more outlandish legends of this stretch of southern England can be traced back to the early 1900s, which brings us back to the dark and gloomy night in June 1921. On this particular night, a stretch of road known nowadays as the B3212, between the small villages of Post Bridge and Two Bridges, the medical officer at the nearby Dartmoor prison, Dr. E.H. Helby, was driving a motorcycle through the dark. In his sidecar were the two young daughters of the prison governor, whom he had agreed to take on a leisurely ride. Unfortunately for Dr. Helby, this would be the last motorcycle ride he'd ever go on. As in the black night, he began to lose control of the vehicle, terrifying his two passengers. He fought to regain control of the bike, but ultimately failed, as the motorcycle crashed off the side of the road into a ditch, killing him almost immediately. Fortunately, the two girls survived the crash. Over the next few days, the girls were interviewed by police, and what they said happened on that night confirmed what some locals had already expected. According to the two girls, as Helby lost control of the bike, he yelled at them to jump from the sidecar, exclaiming that someone had grabbed hold of his hands on the motorcycle's handlebars and was attempting to force him to crash. The girls never saw these mysterious spectral hands, but insisted they saw Helby struggling against someone or something. This story was first told in the Daily Mail in October of 1921 by someone called T. Gifford. As Blake Smith of The Skeptic describes it, this article of less than 500 words would captivate thousands and eventually millions as unseen hands steered the narrative from implausible anecdote to entrenched folklore. Great line, Blake. Gifford's account continues, and according to him, that very same summer in August, a young army officer was also driving his motorcycle down that same stretch of road when he too crashed into an embankment. Despite being a very experienced rider, according to the local media outlets. During questioning about what had happened to him, he told the police captain, <clears throat> It was not my fault. Believe it or not, something drove me off the road, yeah? A pair of Ariannes closed over mine. I felt them as plainly as I ever felt anything in my whole life. Large, muscular Ariannes. I fought them for all I was worth. But they were too strong for me. It forced a machine into the turf at the edge of the road. And I knew no more till I came to myself. Lying a few feet away from, wait, lying a few feet away on my face on the turf. Now, there are many wait, such tales wait, of these. Wait, oh. More than he felt his whole wife? Yeah. He has a speech impediment and you're being really insensitive. How fat was she? How fat was she? There are many such tales of these areas. <laughs> You know what? Forget what I said. He, the listener's right. We should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. There are many such tales of these hairy hands taking control of bike handles and steering wheels, even horses' reins, and forcing unwitting travelers off the road, particularly in the early part of the 20th century. One might be tempted to wonder why these hands frequented the road so much and only seemed to bother those traveling through. Well, simply put, those traveling through were the only living souls in the area. The space between two bridges and post bridge, and indeed almost all of Dartmoor, was sparse and vast, and not somewhere you would often catch someone hanging around. So it's entirely understandable that any sort of presence in the area would only be able to interact with travelers as those were the only ones around to interact with. That is until three years later, in 1924, when well-known British folklore author Theo Brown's mother was staying in a caravan around half a mile from what's now known as the B3212. In her 1980 book, Ghosts of Devon, 
Brown retells the story told to her by her mother, in which she experienced the hairy hands when camping with her husband. According to her mother, she sensed a great evil one night lurking near their caravan. And she soon saw movement from outside the caravan's window. Oh, yes. Now, when the movement came into focus for her, and she described seeing a very large and very hairy hand climbing its way from the bottom of the window to the top, which was slightly ajar. Brown's mother recalled that she, quote, knew it wished to do harm to her husband, who was sleeping just below the window, and that, quote, whoever owned that hand hated both of them and wished them both harm. Per her account, Brown's mother then recited the Lord's Prayer and created a crucifix with her two index fingers, which was apparently sufficient to remove the demonic presence from their vicinity. They stayed in that spot for several more weeks, and while the caravan itself felt safe after that night, areas immediately surrounding it were still unsettling. So, the skeptical among you may be wondering, what is the explanation? The slightly more open-minded might wonder, whose hands are these, if they exist at all? And while the legend does not say to whom the hands belong, Many have speculated they belong to a deceased motorist who lost his hands in a tragic accident. A very hairy motorist. As for the crashes, there are certainly plenty of natural explanations. And for the origins of the story itself, well, it's widely postulated that Gifford simply made it up. And it captivated people in the way a viral video might today. Soon, others were fabricating their own accounts of the phenomenon. And while it's true that this stretch of road did have a spate of accidents in the summer of 1921, this could have been caused by any number of things, ranging from the mundane to the supernatural. One thing is for sure, though, if I find myself driving along the B3212 in the middle of the night, although it might be futile, I'll certainly be grasping my steering wheel a little tighter than usual. Wow. Wow. Get these fucking hands off me, love. Get these hairy hands off me. Brett, you're allowed to speak. Brett, come back to us. Permission to speak, listeners. You know, going into this, I thought cryptids were the things from like, uh, what is that Tom Hanks? It's not Passion of the Christ. Uh, Angels and Demons. What, what is Passion that? Passion of the Christ. Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. What, what, is, what is that thing called? It, didn't you have to like put in some sort of like combination on this cylinder thing and then you can open it up? It was like locked. A cipher? Cipher. <laughs> in my head, that was a cryptid and I kept waiting for a car to What the fuck does this have to do with Appalachia? Where's the cipher? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. it's funny. Yeah, it's like a cryptographic puzzle. Cryptographic puzzle. Okay. Okay. Right? Because it's like it's like yeah, it requires some some level of decoding, sort of like cryptology. Okay. Now, why a cryptid is called that, I don't know. I don't okay. know what the prefix means. Wow. Brett Gurley came in with some expectations that were dashed, to say the least. He must this whole time <laughs> thinking, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. <laughs> is it inside the cat? Where's the where is it? Yeah. No, that's not what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> Safe to say, no. At the beginning of this, I said Loch Ness Monster and, and Bigfoot. That's where I was going to go with this. Is like, we did preface this by saying in the vein of Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster, and you still thought, oh, there's going to be some national treasure afoot. <laughs> Where's Tom Hanks? <laughs> Who's got eyes on Nick Cage? What, what, right, what are your thoughts now that you have heard two wildly... Unexpected stories. 
Uh, both uh, fantastic. I will say I really like the idea of the Prickly Cats as a mascot for some sort of sports team or a school. I think it's... Cute little cat. It's great. Yeah. Cute little evil cat witch. Yeah. But I know who is telling the truth. Wow. You know. You know who's telling the truth. I know. And it's because I have two major pieces of, of evidence here. These are two huge red flags. Wow. Brett's coming for blood because he is pissed off about the new <laughs> the critiques that we've got. So please. Um, <laughs> okay. So, Aaron, at one point you said the police in England when I think, aren't they bobbies? Are they bobbies? Mm. 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 <laughs> and was it a slip of the tongue? Hmm. Well, that's what I thought. At first, I thought that. And then as you were... Uh, and the real cryptid was the police. Yeah. <laughs> they never show up when you need them. Then when you mentioned, uh, I think you were, you were quoting uh, the guy who was, was uh, recalling his experience. And you said uh, something about, uh, I, what, somebody, he was like, they were thrown a... No, he died. Who was it? No, somebody, no the second guy, he was thrown to the turf. Okay. He said that something about he landed a few feet away when I think, uh, aren't they, do they use meters over there? They use feet as well. Foot, is, have, a, foot is an imperial measurement. They have feet? Okay. They've got like stubs. <laughs> they have feet. <laughs> <laughs> the English are an interesting creature. Hmm. That's the real cryptid along the way. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now this is really, the fact that they also use feet over there as a measurement is really, uh, this has completely skewed my... Confidence At least I'm pretty sure they do because they all they definitely they definitely use imperial measurements like pint right like you think about getting a pint of yeah. beer at a at a pub so to me that seems to suggest that they probably also would use feet like colloquially. I think you're right. It's a it's a guess though, but damn. Now this is really interesting because actually I have no idea who's telling the truth. I'm gonna go. Oh, this is this is not right. I have to go with mm, Carter. Carter what? I just was trying to get a reaction to see if I can. <laughs> I'm just waiting. <laughs> the two storytellers should turn their cameras off when the yeah, guesser should, is guessing. Yeah. So I'm trying to I'm trying to read here. Okay. Try to read some reactions. Yeah, oh no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I have to say that I think Carter is telling the truth. Do tell why? Let's hear the explanation. I think so because... Actually, you know what? Your Unsolved Mysteries, um, which was great. I immediately heard that guy like in my head saying whatever another unsolved mystery i i try to do the voice all the time and i can't come close you can't replicate that it's replicate that voice yeah robert stack i think his name is robert stack okay i did feel like your your version of events in there seemed a little like too different from the guy's actual experience alleged experience but then i'm thinking in my head well maybe that is what they would do on there they would make these kind of like notable changes to the story um 
but I still think it's going to, I still think you're telling the truth. Yeah. I still feel like that sounded a bit more reasonable than these, uh, these hairy hands. You don't think the hairy hands are real? You know how crazy that sounds? Nobody would have hairy hands. It's impossible. My hands are smooth like a baby. Nobody has that much testosterone. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I certainly (laughs) don't. Right, guys? Yeah, that's for sure. All right, so final answer is Carter. Final answer is Carter. Okay, I hate to tell you, Brett. I'm right. You got it wrong. The hairy hands were the true cryptid tale. That's not true. It's it is incredibly true. <laughs> it was it was Carter's idea to do cryptids, and Carter couldn't have possibly known this when he suggested it to me. But I used to be like obsessed with books on cryptids when I was a little kid, and I distinctly remember reading about the hairy hands as a child and thinking, "Huh?" And so when Carter said cryptids, I was like, "I got the perfect one." Brett, welcome to the Hall of Losers. Uh, I am the first inductee, but. We're glad to have you. Yeah. I can cut this part, but uh, <laughs> our listeners, this second. <laughs> Wait, I almost said abductee, inductee. <laughs> <laughs> I was abducted from the Hall of Losers. <laughs> I'm a winner. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's a, uh, wow. It doesn't feel good. I'm going to say that right now. I it fully, doesn't. Yeah. Was it, was it? Let me ask you this. Was it but more... I want to hear... Hold on. It, you what, Brett? I want to hear... What does it feel like? I fully expected to go undefeated for the rest of the uh, the rest of the show. So... If I can riff on that real, real quick before we get into it, Aaron, because I want to get into that point of what, what caused like you to go one way or the other. But it's... it. I know you've guessed. You were the first guesser. But now that we're starting to dial it in a bit, doesn't it, it feel so impossible? At the end of the story, sometimes it's just yeah. like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Well, this is what happens when you pay attention, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead, Aaron, with your question. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, all I was going to say, I, I, I think probably the most interesting question at the end of all these is, were you convinced that Carter's was true or were you convinced that mine was fake? Which of those, which of those forces pulling on you was like the more decisive one. I think I was more so convinced that yours was fake. I felt a couple times with Carter's story that it sounded like a little, uh, hokey, um, you know, cause prickly cat is, it's kind of like a, I don't know. It's, it's not as, um, necessarily something as spooky as one might expect to hear on, uh, unsolved mysteries. Um, and then, yeah, with yours, and I was like, well, these hairy hands, and they're just all over the place and whatnot, and grabbing people's things. Um, it felt that did, that just didn't feel uh, didn't feel real. Seemed a little random, perhaps a little a little haphazardly thrown together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what Brett is saying is that both stories sucked. And no, 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 not at all. These, these are great. No, no, no. These, these are, these were, these were really great. Um, it just, I mean, you have to, you have to like be skeptical when you're, when you're in this uh, seat, I think, you know, it's you also gotta, a particularly difficult week because Carter and I decided let's both tell false stories, but one is more false. It's like when you have yeah. a multiple choice question that you get wrong because the answer you picked is technically correct, but not as correct as it could be. Yeah. 
We absolutely devised this, and mostly on the end of me being a sore loser, where I said, I want to do everything possible to get another person in here to lose as well, because I feel like I suck, and I don't like being the only one who sucks. So I had suggested, because Aaron originally had suggested the cryptid idea a long time ago, and I dusted off the playbook and was like, we got to take this one to Brett right now, because this is our best ammunition. So You got your revenge. It's one of my best friends. And with that, I guess we'll conclude another episode of Trust Don't Verify. For me personally, it was a lot of fun, not only telling a story that for once deceived somebody, but also now I'm not alone. And I'm joined by one of my best and oldest friends of all time, Brett. Welcome. And boy, is he old. How old is he? (laughs) And with that, (laughs) we'll end the show. Thanks so much, everybody, for hanging out. And we'll see you next time on Trust Don't Verify. Bye. Hootie hoo. Hi. Hootie hoo.